I'm so excited to be here this morning. It is crisp outside. It is fall. It's, we've got um, uh, trick-or-treating right around the corner. Heath bars. It's pretty good time to be alive. And I want to thank all of you for being here. Those of you who watch via the wonders of the Internet, thanks to all of our gracious people who work so hard to make that work, I uh, welcome you as well. I'm very excited about this series. I love to see the way the Old Testament had a prophetic proclamation about what God was doing with humanity. And this is a chance for me to pull some of my favorite stories and vignettes, some of my favorite prophetic moments out of the Old Testament and set them in front of you. For those of you who've never had the opportunity, I would urge you sometime to take a moment and come over and enjoy the, the chapel that's built over by the theological library. In the chapel, the paintings that were done in the ceiling were, were done off of a design that, that uh, I, look, you, you build it, you get to design it, okay? So I figured out what I wanted those paintings to be and how I wanted them to be. And if you're watching this series and getting a copy of it through the internet, we email out a link for the written lesson each week, then you'll see uh, pictures that are in the chapel ceiling because what I'm really doing in this class at this point is teaching through the painting scheme that I had put together. So that's what we're doing. The paintings that I'm giving you up on the PowerPoint are paintings from the chapel ceiling. And so even the background behind this title slide is. But this morning we're going to look in some depth at Jacob. Now, I don't know how many of you read conspiracy theory stuff, but, you know, the, the JFK documents were supposed to be released this last Thursday. I don't think that they all were. I think they've still kept some back for a while, so we don't quite know what really went down yet, because I am a conspiracy theorist at heart. I believe there are conspiracies all around us. Like, my wife was conspiring to make sure... Well, never mind. Anyway, the... Uh, uh, so within the scheme of getting to do the paintings on the ceiling, what I did is I put some secrets in there. I put like little codes. You know, I, want, I wanted a hundred years from now someone to come in and say, hey, did he do this on purpose? Now one of the codes I got painted into the ceiling, I'm going to divulge to you today. So if you ever get to go look at it or just take time, it's open uh, during the week. If you take time to go look at it, then I, you look for this code because it's in there. It all centers on Jacob in the Old Testament being a prophetic symbol and, and representation of something that would be happening in the life of Jesus. So we're in the book of Genesis. Now, that's the first book of Moses, even though Moses isn't in Genesis. It's the first book of Moses because it gives the beginning information that you need to know to know about Moses and to know about so many other things. And so it is called Genesis, which is from the Greek word for beginning. In Hebrew, it's bareshit, which means uh, at the head of or in, in the beginning. And it is a book about beginnings. From it, we learn the beginning of time and space and humanity. From it, we learn the purpose of humanity, that we were born to be in a relationship with the divine creator, with God. He made us for that purpose. And so within that, we have not just a purpose of a relationship with him, but responsibilities that flow from that. A responsibility to be his image bearers, to reflect him to the world around us a responsibility to take care of the things that he's put under our care and custody and control. So we have a purpose and the beginning of, of understanding of humanity's purpose is found in Genesis. You also find the beginning of the Hebrew people in Genesis. And specifically through the seed of Abraham. Now the term Israelites or Israel, is also discussed in its beginning in the book of Genesis. 
And so we learn where that term and where those people came from more than simply understanding them as uh, the, the children of Abraham. It's more specific than that. So within the framework of that, let's start with a clean slate and let's just venture through where we've been thus far in Genesis. The purpose of humanity is to be in a relationship with God. He crafted us. He created us. He took us from dirt where there was absolutely no life, not a spore of life, not a bacteria of life. No virus, no DNA, no RNA, nothing zip, nada. And he makes Adam and from Adam Eve and he breathes life into them. And that's the story that's told as a way of setting up that we are wholly dependent upon God for life. Apart from God, we have no life. We are dead dirt. And so with God's breath, we have life. He created us to have life. He created us to have His life in us. And to be in fellowship with us. In a relationship. And that purpose is given in the beginning, but there's a problem that happens. Humanity chose disobedience to God. It's called sin. But sin's just a three-letter word for disobedience. Disobedience to God, disobedience to His morality, to His ethics, to His character, to who He is, which is who we were made to be like. So if we're made to be in a relationship with Him and our only life comes from His breath, what happens when we choose to walk away from Him? Death. Death. And that's the story. But it wasn't simply a story that ended with the death of Adam and Eve. Because even as they were expelled from the garden... God prophetically said, I've got a solution. And that's what God went to work on. Actually, he'd already been at work. He'd already planned all of this, Paul says, before he created the world. He never would have made us knowing we could walk away if he hadn't already committed to winning us back. Because he made us to be in a relationship with him. He made us to have meaning and purpose of His life in us. And so He's got to solve the problem. We blew it. We don't have the ability to bring God's life back into us. We don't have the ability to be born again of the Spirit of God. God had, we, we no more have that ability than we had the ability to start with to be born of the Spirit of God. I mean, we, we weren't in the ground able to self-fashion and then call down the Holy Spirit. No, God did that work. And once we walked away, it's going to take God to bring us back to, with another birth. And that's the story that's set up. And the beginning of that story is found in the book of beginnings. And you'll notice in the painting of the, the Adam and Eve leaving the garden that we put on the chapel ceiling, the Bethlehem star. Because even as Adam and Eve were being sent from the garden, they were being sent not only in the shame of their sin, but with a sacrificial covering of a garment. God took the life of an innocent animal, took the, 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 the skin of the animals, and made clothing for them. And promised that through the offspring of woman, He would bring one to put an end to the work of Satan. And so that prophecy comes right there on the heels of humanity's death. And it's something... That, that we should live on. And then what Genesis does in a real sense is it sets up a chain 
to show us that solution coming true just in the links of a chain. And so we read about it. Oh, all humanity just is going to pot. I mean, it's going horrible. And, and God it washes it clean, but through the ark of, of Noah, rescues Noah who is righteous before God. Righteous in the Hebrew word, tzedek, means not just a, an, an ethical righteousness, but it means a right relationship with God. He's someone who was walking with God. He, he, he was in a relationship with God. And then through the offspring of woman, we learn more details. Specifically, God, after the flood, sets up this fellow named Abram. Ultimately becomes Abraham. Living in this place called Ur. Calls him and he goes from Ur to Haran. And then from Haran down to Canaan. And that Abraham is through the offspring of woman. And then through Abraham, God says... It's through your seed, Father Abraham, that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So I'm going to work something through you. And you're that link in the, the prophecy chain. You are part of the solution. Because it's through your seed the solution will come. And Abraham accepts that. It gets even more specific. Abraham's told it'll be through his seed, laughing boy what Isaac means. And so through Isaac, through laughing boy, it's going to come. And laughing boy gets born and laughing boy grows up. And then laughing boy has his own experience with God. And laughing boy is, is at a point where he's going to be sacrificed. But God stops that and says, no, I'm sending my son. Laughing boy's death won't do any good. And God becomes the God not just of Abraham but of Isaac. And, and the prophecy that, that is started and had its beginning in Genesis. We get the next link to the chain. It's not just through woman. It's not just through Noah. It's not just through Abraham. It's through Isaac. So Isaac gets married. And Isaac's wife is, does, is barren. She can't have children. So Isaac prays about it and God does a double job. She gets pregnant with twins. By the way, my nephew sitting right over there. He's just doing his obstetrics rotation. And if you get a chance to talk to Jack Hunt about what happened to him the other day in obstetrics, you will laugh. Didn't have twins. That was just one kid, right, Jack? Just one. Can you imagine if that had been twins? No. Okay, so here's the deal. It's, it's seriously, the story's worth it. I'm just telling you, beeline to him after class, make him tell you the story. So here's the deal. She's having twins and, she, and they're, they're fighting within her. And she's like, Lord, what's going on here? That struggle is a struggle that's going to happen really throughout the lives of those twins. But she, the mom, is told prophetically the older is going to serve the younger. And regrettably, mom seems to be someone who decides that it's up to her to see that God's job is done the way she thinks it should be done instead of the way God does. And the enmity between the brothers gets profound. But it's through Jacob that the world is going to have the blessing. So here we've got these links in a chain and I want to look at the Jacob link today. But as we look at the Jacob link, I want you to do it remembering what Hebrews 1 said. Hebrews 1 says, in essence, there's one message from God to his people. Long ago, he told that message over and over in different ways, speaking through the prophets. That's what we're hearing about now. That's what we're studying. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing with different methods the way God spoke about his son, Jesus. In the latter days, the writer of Hebrews says... We have Jesus. We see Jesus. But we can go back into the Old Testament and get a pretty good, clear image of what Jesus is going to be. 
we'll understand what Jesus came to do. We'll see why the Jews would call him a Messiah, an anointed. Because there are specific prophecies about the anointed one that will come. And so within the framework of that, in the Old Testament we see Jesus, we see God speaking through his son, we just see it dimly. But the voice is loud and clear that Jesus is the Messiah. And so that's what we're looking at in this morning. I want to look at this idea of Jesus is the Messiah through Jacob, who in some ways is a most unlikely candidate. Jacob is, is an unlikely candidate because, look at him in Genesis chapter 25, he gets born. This is the story I was telling you about where Sarah, uh, or I mean Rebecca, is struggling. So, Rebecca, his wife, conceives. The children struggled within her. She said, if it's thus, why is this happening to me? So she asks Yahweh, the Lord. Yahweh said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So when her days to give birth were completed, there were twins in her room, fir- womb. Her first one comes out red. His body's a hairy cloak. They called his name Esau. And afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. Heel in Hebrew is the word akav, akav, akav. So his name was called Ya'akav, Ya'akav, Jacob. Now, heel is akav. Think of it as well, here, we can write it here. Because some of you actually read some Hebrew. Okay, so heel in Hebrew is an ayin. Let's get it up here. Kof, bait. Akov. A, we'll put it into that. All right? So that's kind of, it's not really an A sound, but it's pretty close. So that's what heel means. Or, I mean, that's the word for heel in Hebrew. Now, if you want to take that noun and turn it into a verb where you've got someone grabbing someone's heel, a healer <laughs> and a different kind of healing, then you're going to put a Y sound in front of it, a Yaakov. And that Y becomes in English a J. So Jacob comes out, they, they name him as the one grabbing his brother's heel. Well, that's, that's okay, but the name also sort of has another meaning. It kind of means a trickster, a deceiver. It means uh, someone who is uh, deceptive or full of guile. It's not really nice. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be named cheater. But that's almost what it means because it, it took on this idea of tripping someone up. I mean, you don't have to just grab their heel coming out of the womb. When you're coming out of the womb, it's probably not that big a deal. But you come walking by and I grab you by the heel and I'm tripping you up. To get that close, I've got to be a trickster, a deceiver. It, it just carries this connotation. And so you've got, this is an unlikely candidate. And by the way, he grows into the name pretty well. His brother Esau is uh, um, what we would call uh, here, um, and I I say this with deep affection, and I always am guarded about saying things like this, but I mean, where I grew up, this was a compliment. He's a redneck, okay? I mean, he came out red, and it never really changed. He's a redneck. He loved to hunt. He loved to fish. He loved to, 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 to be outdoors. He was a man of the... I mean, look, if you're going to get stuck in the wilderness, man versus wild, you want Esau with you. You will not go hungry. He knows how to skin anything that needs skinning. And that's who he was. 
meanwhile, Jacob, he's a bit of a mama's boy. Mama's already been told he's going to be the one. The older's going to serve the younger. And so mama's making sure of it. So Jacob's out hunting, spitting, cussing. Jacob's home doing the laundry and cooking. So Jacob is, is not in the position of getting the blessings of the older. Now Isaac, the dad, he's going blind and it's time for him to give the blessings out. And so he says to his oldest son, Esau, he says, Hey boy, I want to give you a blessing. Go out there, hunt, find me some good game, cook it up, and let me, let me, let me eat some of that good food before I bless you. Mom overhears dad saying that. Esau says, yes, sir, and heads out. Mom says to Jacob, hey, look, man, we got to cook up something for dad. Go get some goat skin. You're not hairy enough. You know, you don't smell right. And we're going to trick dad. He can't see. He's probably half senile. We're going to trick him into giving you the blessing. And so they do. And he gets his brother's blessing. He's already, through his own efforts, unfairly manhandled his brother out of his inheritance of sorts. So he gets his inheritance. He gets the blessing of the dad. The other son comes back. He's all upset. The older twin, Esau. And this is, Jacob is a deceiver. He's a cheater. And he doesn't have the excuse, well, God said it was going to be that uh, my brother would serve me. I'm just uh, cheating because it's the best way to get God's will. No. No, it's not. You don't get God's will through practicing vice. I have a favorite saying. Nobody seems to like it but me, but to me, I just really like this saving, saying. I teach it to lawyers every time I get the chance. You can't practice vice virtuously. Think about that for a moment. You can't practice vice virtuously. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm out for the better good here, so I'm going to lie. No, don't. No. Don't practice vice virtuously. It doesn't work. So Jacob tries it. But the bottom line is, is Esau is so ticked off, Esau is telling his buds, you know, dad's not long in this world, and it's, I don't want to break his heart, but as soon as he dies, I'm going to kill my brother. Mom overhears it. Mom says, um, <laughs> Jacob, your brother's going to kill you. I think he's serious. Now, please understand at this point in time, this twin, Jacob, he's 40 years old. Still going to his mama to protect him. And mama says to him, uh, your brother's going to kill you as soon as dad's dead. So I want you to go to my family over in Heron. And they'll, we'll get you a wife. And, and, and she, he's going to marry like a cousin or something like that. Think of it here in like Arkansas. <laughs> that was for you, Janet. And uh, he's, I'm just joking. I mean, Arkansas, that was back with Noah when he looked out of the Arkansas, the water. Uh, so, so. <laughs> They're going to they're gonna cut this on the internet, aren't they? Uh, get some hate emails off of that. But uh, uh, anyway, so he's going to go back and marry a cousin. So he flees. Now, I, I wanted to put this up on a map because, uh, up on a map. So 
we'll get to that in a moment. The, the dream is what we're going to talk about, and if we've got time, the wrestling match. But here's the story. So from Ur, Abraham had left out of, because of his faith. God said, I want you to go. And in faith, Abraham left Ur and went to Haran. And then God said, I want you to leave Haran and the rest of your family. I want you to go down to the land I'm going to show you. And he goes to Canaan. You understand, that's, Abraham does that by faith. Scripture says his faith was counted as righteousness. In faith he did these things. And do you realize what Jacob, who's supposed to be this next link in the chain, is doing? In fear, he's backtracking what Abraham did in faith. In Jacob, we've got the next link in the chain. He's supposed to be inheriting. His offspring are supposed to be inheriting Canaan. And because he tried to do God's will his way, he's now fleeing the very land he is proclaimed to be the the inheritor of. And he's going backwards. He's headed back where Abraham got called from. That's what sin does. That's what fear does. That's the opposite direction because it's the opposite of faith, which brings obedience. Faith brings obedience and sets you where you need to be for the blessings of God. Fear comes from disobedience and drives you from where you need to be. Now, God didn't give up on him. God's promises are not so easily thwarted. God never picked Jacob because Jacob was a thoroughbred and a faith stud. He picked him while he was still in the womb. Let there be no doubt about it. God made that choice before Jacob did anything in this world outside of his mother's womb. So this is about God doing what God's going to do. God's about something bigger than the life of Abraham. i got a secret for you. God's about something bigger than your life and mine. When we signed on to his program, we didn't sign on because it was a get-rich-quick scheme. We didn't sign on because it was some pyramid program. We signed on because it's the truth. And because we were made to be in a relationship with him and, and we want to be in that relationship. Well, sometimes that means great things. Sometimes it means you carry a cross and follow him to it. But regardless, we're on it because of the bigger mission, which is the kingdom of God. So when the days bring you to sing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay, sing it and sing it loud and sing it proud. But when the day brings you to sing, uh, what, what was it? Everybody hurts. I mean, sing it, wail it, lament it. But with faith that you're where God needs you to be. Okay? So, let's go back to the story. So, Jacob's fleeing. And he has a dream. And I want you to see this dream. I've got it down as Genesis 28, 12, but we may expand it just a little bit. You need to see the dream. Jacob's on the road. On the road again. Didn't want a good on the road again. Jacob left Beersheba. He went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. So he's out sleeping under the stars. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I'm Yahweh. I'm the God of Abraham, your father, which is what Abraham means, but it's also 
his grandfather, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's, you're the link in the chain. I made that same statement to your father. I made that same statement to your grandfather. You're the link. It's going to be through you the Messiah comes. Behold, I'm with you. And I'm going to keep you wherever you go. And I'm going to bring you back to this land. Because I'm not going to leave you until I've done what I've promised you. You know, this is fascinating to me. God says, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Doesn't say I'm your God. He wasn't Jacob's God. Jacob hadn't made him his God yet. Jacob worshipped other things. Jacob was his own God. Jacob's mother was his God. Jacob took more directions from her than he did God. As a 40-year-old man, lying and stealing and cheating and deceiving. Yet God says, I'm still going to be with you and I'm going to bring you back to this land. I made that promise. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Yahweh is here. I didn't know it. I've stumbled onto the house of God. And he was scared. He said, this is an awesome place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He dreamed. He saw the heaven open. He saw this staircase. He saw the angels going up and down. He saw God up at the top. So in the early morning, Jacob took the stone that he'd put his head on. He set up a pillar and he poured oil on the top of it. He anointed it. He messiahed it. Mashiach, the word for Messiah, is anoint. He, he messiahed that place. He called the name of the place Bethel. Beth means house. El means God, house of God. This is an incredible story. And even if I don't get to the point that I wanted to about the wrestling match, I want to make sure we cover this story carefully. He has this dream where the heavens open, God is up there, and there's a staircase. Uh, uh, some translate it ladder, but a ladder that goes, and angels are going up and down the ladder, up and down the ladder. And he sees and he says, this is the house of God. This is where heaven and earth meet. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Now, the reason I like this in particular is because it uh, ties in with a story in the New Testament that some of you may not realize. So I'm going to tell it to you, but we've still got 15 minutes. So let's talk for just a moment about the wrestling match. Let me tell you what happens. So Jacob goes, he meets this really, really, really good-looking girl that just makes his heart go boom, boom, boom like a big bass drum. Her name is Rachel. And so, she's his cousin. You know, it's just different in some states. And she's his cousin. And so he goes to her dad, Laban, and he says, I want to cut a deal. I want your daughter, Rachel. And he says, well, work seven years for me and I'll give her to you. So he says, okay. So for seven years, Jacob works for his future father-in-law, Laban. 
After seven years, he says, hey, it's time. And so they set up the wedding. They have the wedding feast. That night in the tent, old cheater boy, who's probably had way too much to drink. And a lot of people say, how could he not tell it was the younger, the older sister than the younger sister? He was probably three sheets to the wind. Okay, and it's dark. Because the cheater got cheated. What's the old saying? It's a short road that doesn't have a turn in it. What goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. You want to dance, you got to pay the band. So many slogans because it's so true. So the cheater, his father-in-law, sends in the older sister Leah. Jacob doesn't realize it till he wakes up in the morning. Says, wrong girl. Goes to his father-in-law and says, what are you doing? Father-in-law says, hey, that's the way it is with us. Older sister gets married first. There's some real irony because Jacob's on the run because he cheated his brother and tried to claim the blessing of the older one. See the irony? So he got the older one. You got it? So, he says, that's not the deal we cut. Laban said, man, it's, it's pretty much the price around here. Seven years for a daughter. He says, I'll give you the younger one, but you've got to work another seven years. So they negotiate and haggle, and he gets the daughter early, but says he'll commit for the next seven years, and he does. And so now he's got two wives. Well, how do you think the older one feels about all of this? Do you want to talk sibling rivalry? He didn't even want her. Of course, she's the only one who can have kids. So she starts having boatloads of kids. While the young one can't have kids. Ultimately, these kids fight like crazy too. And it's, it's a bad scene. Well, there comes a time where after all of this has gone down, Jacob's ready to go back. He's grown old and he's grown tired of his father-in-law. So in his 50s, he heads back. But he's still scared to death that his brother's going to whip him and kill him. So he's trying to figure out how to get in his brother's graces. So he divides his flocks and his family and his workers up. And he sends first a whole set ahead of just for, for his brother as a gift. And then he divides the rest of them up and he, and he's, so that maybe if the brother comes and attacks, one can get away while the other doesn't. And he's really worried about it. And one night he goes out by this, uh, the fords of the Jabbok. And a man appears and they start wrestling struggling and fighting and it lasts all night and Jacob's not able to overcome the man and the man doesn't overcome Jacob and then as the dawn is approaching well it's 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 an interesting story so this is the story in um, oh we'll come back to John oh man I've missed it okay here the wrestling match is Genesis 32 22 so let's just see how this goes down so uh, Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw he didn't prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he was wrestling, which tells you, by the way, the man could have done it any time he wanted to, but he wanted to wrestle with him all day. And he said, let me go. The day's broken. But Jacob says, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. And he says to Jacob, what's your name? And Jacob says, trickster, <laughs> deceiver, cheater. And he said, you're not going to be called cheater anymore. You're going to be called Israel. Israel means God fights. could be fighting with God, but more likely God fights for you. Because you've striven with God and with men and you've prevailed. Jacob said, tell me your name. He says, who's asking? <laughs> I don't know you that. This relationship we have with God is not a reciprocal relationship. 
We don't have the rights to demand of God what God demands of us. So God blesses him. Jacob calls the name of the place Peniel. Uh, 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 P is uh, face in Hebrew. Face of God. And he says, because I've seen God face to face and yet my life's been delivered. The sun rises as he passed Peniel limping because of his hip. And so he uh, goes on and his brother loves him, respects him. And God blesses him. But he had this wrestling match with God. Now, here's why I wanted to talk here. If you think about the Israelite, the first Israelite, the cheater, the deceiver, the one in whom is guile, it's an interesting thing to think about. And we're not the only people to think about it. You go back into the times of Jesus, and that was their scriptures. That was the Torah. We have good reason to think that good Jews would memorize the Torah. So there's this fella in the New Testament. And he's sitting under a palm tree. Maybe he's going through the Torah in his brain. Because if you're going to memorize something like that, you need to be able to say it, right? So he's going through the Torah. Or he's thinking about this story. When his cousin comes up to him and says, Hey, I want you to come meet Jesus of Nazareth. We found the man. We found the one. And this fellow sitting under the tree thinking about this story. His name's Nathaniel. He says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he's told, Well, just come check it out. We read about this in John 1, 43. And only if we understand this story does John 1.43 really make sense to us. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses... In the law. And also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. Nathaniel Nathaniel says to him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says well just come check it out. Come and see. Jesus sees Nathaniel coming towards him and said. Behold an Israelite indeed. In whom there is no cheating. Deceit. Guile. See, Israel is what Jacob's name is changed to from deceiver. And so he went from being the one of deceit to, an is, to Israel. Now, it's Jesus says, an Israelite indeed. And he is an Israelite. He's a descendant of Israel, of Jacob. He's an Israelite in him whom there's no... Now, if you'd been thinking about that story off by yourself or working through the Torah in your memory, that would be pretty provocative if someone just came up to you and basically said, I know what you were thinking. That's like mind reader stuff. Nathaniel said, "Uh, how'd you know that? How do you know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you when you were thinking through this stuff. I was already in your brain. And that's why Nathaniel answers him and says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. I mean, nobody else does that. You come up to me and you tell me what I was thinking 15 minutes ago. Well, I'm up here talking. You know what I was thinking 15 minutes ago. I said it. Let's assume I didn't say it. And you've got no reason to know it. And then look at this final part. Jesus answered, um, Jesus, he says, you're the king of Israel. Jesus said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Now you believe. You're going to see greater things than these. Truly, I say to you, you're going to see heaven open. 
And you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending. But not as Jacob did in his dream on a ladder or on a staircase. You're going to see heavens open and you're going to see God meeting with humanity through me on the Son of Man ascending and descending on the cross. That's the ladder to heaven. Do you see the beauty of that? Do you see the tie? I mean, th this is an Old Testament prophetic image. This is an incredible image. If we go back to the PowerPoint, this is exactly what we've been talking about. This is that message. This is everything. This is the solution of Adam and Eve's sin. A male offspring of woman who conquered Satan. A covering of sin at a personal price. A vehicle of rescue. It's all of this. Abraham's seed to bless the whole earth. He's a high priest to God intervening for the people. He's the king of peace, the king of righteousness. He's worshipped by the people. He's blessing the people. He's the fullness of God. He's the sacrifice of God's son. He's at the location where Isaac was called to be sacrificed in a manner that was foreshadowed with an assured resurrection. He's all of that and more. He's through the seed of Isaac. He's through the seed of Jacob. He's an anointed Messiah at that location where that vision took place. That was the Messiah. That is what Jacob did. He anointed, he messiahed that place. Because the heavens will open and the angels will ascend and descend and God will meet with humanity through the Messiah, the anointed one. That's what will span heaven and earth. It will be Jesus. This is God's fight. This is God's victory. This is God's wrestling match. Did any of you grow up singing old hymns? Did any of you grow up singing, Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. Anybody know that? The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a hope within the wilderness, a rest upon my way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. What's the next verse? I take, O cross, thy shelter as my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of your face, content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. O safe and happy shelter, O refuge tried and sweet. And here's the passage that we study today. O trysting place where heaven's love and heaven's mercies meet. As to that holy patriarch that wondrous dream was given. So seems my Savior's love to me a ladder unto heaven. That's the story. It's been in there. This isn't something new that happened 2,000 years ago. We're reading a story that happened 4,000 years ago. Jesus was never plan Z, plan L, plan B. He was always God's thing, God's plan. So here are your points for home. Is he not rightly named Jacob? Cheater. He's cheated me twice. That's what his brother said. I got to tell you, he was a cheater. But God had mercy on him. Look, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. I took Paul's place in that role. He used to be. He's long gone, man. I've been a lot worse than him. I, I, I can't live without the mercies of God. But our God is merciful. He brings those mercies. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. He's my portion, says my soul. I'm going to hope in Him. I'm going to trust in Him. I'm going to rejoice in Him. Jacob wakes up from his sleep and says, Surely the Lord's in this place. And I didn't know it. Hey, God's at work. God's at work in your life, whether you're fleeing out of fear or following from faith. We just need to wake up. And see God at work. We want to hitch our train to His. 
We want him to work through us. Why do we want to learn stuff the hard way? Let's just do it his way. Jacob makes a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me, then he'll be my God. Oh, give me a break, you young, immature cheater. He says that on his way out while he's fleeing in fear. Don't cut that deal with God. Hey, God, I'll follow you if. We are blessed that God would let us follow him. He doesn't owe us diddly squat. What he gives us, he gives us out of love. Not earning. This is not our fair wage. How are you doing today? Better than I deserve. Every one of us can answer that. Doesn't matter how bad we're doing. Might might want to follow it up with not as good as I'd like. But I want to tell you something. I want to go grow closer to God, not make deals with him. That's not what this is. That was a very immature Jacob. He grew out of it. Next week, I'm excited to talk to you about we begin the story of Moses. It's a great story. Can I bless you before we go? Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for letting us live on this side of Messiah. Letting us rejoice not only at what you will do, but rejoice out of faith seeing what you have done. For putting verb tense into history and letting us live on this side where the work of Jesus is a past tense even as he continues to work with us and bring to consummation in the future what he's done. So, Lord, please bless with faith the hearers of this word. Stir up in us response of faith and not one of sin and fear. Let us walk your walk. And, Father, when the hard times come, let us take strength from you and face them knowing that we face them in your care and your protection and for your glory and your kingdom we'll suffer whatever the world may throw father if that's what you need from us draw us close to your heart is all we ask amen see you guys next sunday